Stay hungry, stay foolish. So now on the Innovation Show, it's a great pleasure to welcome Jamie White, CEO and founder of Leading Social. Before that, College Times and a plethora of other entrepreneurial endeavors. Jamie, it's a pleasure to finally talk to you. Aiden, thank you. I've been, uh, I've been knocking on your door trying to get in myself, so it's a great <laughs> opportunity and thank you so much. So let, let's jump straight into it. You've been an entrepreneur since school days, so over to you. Look, for, for me, I, I actually, I never thought of the term entrepreneur. I, I just really enjoyed business. So in school, it was just making a couple of extra quid, selling talk, or I suppose the social scene wasn't what I expected when I went into college. So rather than going without, I just took the initiative to put it together. And after a couple of events, I realized it was, it was really rewarding, not just financially, but socially. I got my college experience through the work. As I was promoting nights, I, I kind of I got really interested in dance music. So that evolved into hosting concerts with some of the some of the international DJs. Then I kind of I figured I was marketing to students. Uh, I was marketing these events to students. So why not help businesses market students? And I set up a, a marketing company at the time called the Student Network. Then I had so many dealings with students in terms of the marketing deals that we were doing and the uh, club nights that. Just for a bit of fun, I set up uh, College Times. I, I saw that there was a kind of a niche, there was an opportunity in that all of the college newspapers were funded by the colleges themselves. And with that, they weren't really talking about what students wanted to uh, read. It, they were more so publishing what the colleges wanted the students to be seen to be reading. So I saw there was a real gap to uh, just to promote authentic content. And I kind of felt we benefit off the back of that through the work we were de- doing, either through our marketing business or through our events. So, yeah, yeah I've had this kind of funny history of uh, business where it wasn't as planned out as it probably should have been. But it's it's been really natural and organic and it's kind of it's flowed. I've had some had some great times, had some dreadful mistakes because I'm not planning as much as you should. We'll do that. And I've ended up here now where I'm, I'm running a social media agency and we're working with brands both here in Ireland and internationally. But it's, it's work that I love because all the time throughout all the business that I've done, it's all been predominantly centered through social media. So it's great to do that now at a real scale. Do you know what I, I picture, man, when I hear the world you were building? So you're, you're probably like me. I, I wanted to go to the States to college because I really wanted to be the quarterback and with all the cheerleaders. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you you were in Slangoswood College watching all these American Pie and Road Trip and all these movies, and you wanted that world, so you had to build it because it didn't exist right here. Yeah, yeah, Van Wilder <laughs> in a nutshell. I, uh, I got I got to to Commerce and UCD thinking I was in for that kind of uh, North American college lifestyle, and it was obviously completely not. So I think I, I think over the course of, I hosted club nights for maybe six years, we definitely threw over 100 frat parties. So yeah, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. <laughs> build it, man, build it, and they will come. But so, uh, so social media, you're now CEO of one of the leading uh, social media companies in, in Ireland, and if not one of the ones in Europe. And you di- you almost discovered the power of social organically and I, and I always think this is the best way it's like the best guitarists and best drummers are the ones who taught themselves yes they need to know the certain steps to do so but the ones that have a real passion for it and you discovered that passion naturally 
it was at those club nights. It sounds mad, but Bebo was all about friends. There was no business pages on Bebo. We were hosting club uh, a, a night at that stage, and, and we thought, here, why don't we just set up its own Bebo page and we'll put the pictures of the night up on it. Now, I know that's what everybody does now, and that's really, really obvious, but for us at the time, that hadn't been done, and no one had done that before, and we did it, and the night did really, really well, and then we applied it to other nights, and then as Bebo merged into Facebook, we did the same through Facebook, and actually, what happened for us was we, we were able to scale our business, so at the height of it, I was hosting 30 nights a week to an average of about 20,000 students every week, and no one had ever done that to my knowledge, uh, but certainly been told by UK promoters, no one had done it over there either. But we were able to kind of ride a wave through social media. And like, this was when social media was called social networking. Nobody was really social marketing at that stage, but like we were doing it. We were, we were creating these concepts on, on social media, creating concepts that kind of created such a stir of mouth that they'd spread virally and off the back of it, our event would sell out. And then we took that exact same concept and put it to College Times where we create an article that was so bold that people would talk about it so much and spread it organically and go viral that we get tremendous traffic off the back of it. So yeah, really, really organically and without kind of having a term or a phrase on it, this was just something we really enjoyed ourselves. Uh, so the expertise was grown completely organically. Yeah, because people now listen to that and kind of go, okay, well, that's what you do. But at the time, there was no one doing it and there was no brands up there and the brands up there were, you know, thank God it's Friday style posts while you were actually putting up real authentic content with no holes barred. Yeah. And and look, look, there was a lot of mistakes at that as well. Like I, I remember once or twice, I, I'd wake up probably a little bit late because I was juggling the two. I was running the, the magazines and the nightclubs at the same time, but I'd wake up and there'd be a good couple of messages uh, of like shock and horror that they'd read about the disgraceful antics we were up to in either a nightclub or on the web or that we published through the night, the websites um, and it hit the front page of a couple of papers. So in that kind of time where you're finding an expertise, there's a lot of trial, there's a lot of, a lot of error. Um, but it, it is so funny that, yeah, when we, when you tell the story of it now, people kind of shake their heads and they're like, Oh, that's, that's obvious. That's normal. But at that time it completely wasn't. And it was there to be found and there to be explored, which was so exciting. Let's talk about College Times. I just feel College Times was very authentic. Like you said, what people wanted. There was no hidden agenda. You weren't pushing content for the sake of a brand. You were actually just putting out content that worked. But it just, it was the scale of Ireland alone that just didn't work for it. College Times is a bit of a, it was a real learning curve for me because exactly as you said, and I, I'd said previously, we, we, we created it just for fun. We saw that this, there was this big gap where you know, there was no magazine that actually authentically talked to and engaged with students. The platforms in terms of Facebook allowed for it to be done quite inexpensively. It could be to our benefit, not through it, but through the nights we were doing or the marketing we were doing. And so it allowed us explore it and do it in a really authentic fashion. And College Times year one was outstanding. We were doing stuff that had never really been done before. We were being, we were trending pretty much every day our figures were doubling every month and it was exploding this was like like when you know elite daily was over in the states they were calling us up and wanting to have our content we we had we were dealing with buzzfeed it was all really exciting 
Um, but at that, I don't think the frustrating thing is that we did, didn't have the experience to manage that correctly. And as I said, we, we, we posted a, a satirical piece that wasn't as, as good as it should have been. It was a guide to a one night stand, which should have been a really funny uh, piece for, for college students. And instead it was a really stupid, silly piece. Um, and we didn't appreciate how big our audience had gotten. It was literally doubling every month. And it hit the mainstream media in Ireland and abroad. And it hit it the complete wrong way where they didn't see it as a satirical piece. They actually thought it was an actual how-to guide. And it got rubbed up the wrong way. And instead of us writing that out and pushing forward and continuing to be true to our direct audience, completely turned the, the site on its head where we kind of rid ourselves of all our, uh, all our actual college writers. We brought in more experienced writers changed the tone completely um, and then because we did that there was a cost and as a cost we then said well look this thing better stand on its own head so we started bringing in a business team and the business team wanted the site to be in line with what advertisers wanted hmm. and so we found ourselves taking off like a rocket year one and then literally pulling it apart within a month or two we didn't want to allow the curve go so forward down. So we, I, I heavily pushed behind it and heavily invested behind it and really tried to force its growth then. Um, but as I said, because we'd, we really, we'd lost the whole heart of our content, we'd lost the connection with our audience, we really had an uphill struggle that we continued on with for three years. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't know yeah. it was so long. I didn't know it was so long afterwards. Because I, I remember actually that, man. I remember that change in tone because I'd been following from afar and I'd seen the growth and I've seen those those posts but I, at the same time I, I was one of the ones who understood it to be in the satirical vibe that it was because the whole site was like that I, 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 to I took the content of that site to be as if it was writers of American Pie who had a website you know it was that it was that tongue-in-cheek fashion that was where it was meant to be and if we had had the experience at the time, we would have laughed off all that exposure and pushed forward with it and said, wow, we're doing a great job. But instead, all of us questioned ourselves. And, you know, like some, some people, I remember one or two of the writers who were interning in the office breaking down crying because they were so upset. And there was such negativity showing towards what we were doing that we turned it on its head. And it's funny because for something that was so cool, and I'm really, really proud of what we did in that first year, I subsequently sold it. And like I have to look at it now, and it's just, it's dreadful in comparison to what it was and in comparison to what it could have been. But it is what it is. And thankfully, I've, I've taken a huge amount from that, and a huge amount of confidence from that. I get the opportunity to apply that to something going forward, which would be really, really cool. But yeah, it was a, it was a hell of a learning experience. Yeah, because it, it, it kind of reminds me of the way you see a big corporate buying a startup and then imposing its culture on that startup because like, okay, now you need to grow up and pull up your pants and start uh, you know, paying your own bills and forcing it to become something it didn't it isn't and you see this time and time again and the subtleties like i can imagine those those writers crying because they're like well this isn't who i am so i'm now writing totally like before it was never a job for me to write a post now i actually have to follow a formula that isn't me and doesn't come from my heart and i like as you know from leading social that comes across immediately online 
Like for me now, the real the strategic edge for brands on social media is authenticity. What people I suppose aren't as conscious of is that is picked up in seconds. It was amazing how quickly we grew and then how fast things declined because we just weren't ourselves. It showed in, in everything and it showed so quickly. Yeah, a funny experience, a really, yeah. really funny experience watching that. You've said it as well, like with an entrepreneur like you are, you hear entrepreneurs going, oh yeah, there's no such thing as failure, there's only lessons, but it still hurts. You still have those sleepless nights, you still go, oh, the money you know, I put into this. But I yeah. often find with, on, with online, because actually the digital advertising model is so broken that it's only those people who have enough runway or who, who are unicorns or venture backed, like the Buzzfeeds of the world or the Snapchats even at the moment. They still don't have a viable business model. There's a lot of hype about it. But what you can do, what you can control, I suppose, from your experience is helping brands online socially and helping them with their tone of voice and their authenticity and, and being a trusted advisor to those. And I suppose you've spun all your experience into that and that's what your focus is now. That's what's really cool because, look, not a lot of agencies venture into business themselves and their own projects themselves. So it's great being able to take so many of our experiences and apply them to clients' gain. That's cool. You can offer a hell of a lot more value. And I suppose that's as an agency how we're, how we're seeing ourselves compete and that we can offer that extra added value. You read a lot of these cliche sayings, I don't fail, I only learn lessons and all that kind of thing. But like, like it hurts. It, it really, really, really hurts. And literally people crying in the office because they're so upset because a piece gets picked up wrong and it goes on mass. Like there was a really horrible thing where somebody, we had got our first advertisement the week pre- previous. 7up had given us our first bit of ad revenue. This journalist screenshotted the article on our site, tagged the advertiser and said, what are you doing advertising on this site when they're publishing such disgraceful stuff like this? And to add petrol to the fire, like not only did there was, there was a real a real negative kind of public opinion on, on what we did, then we actually, we lost all our advertising revenue immediately. We worked for a year to get it. We got our first deal. We had a huge pipeline uh, coming and then bang, it was all gone. And we never, never really recovered that because, you know, yourself, revenue in its initial phases of any business has a compounding effect. And if that's delayed a couple of weeks or a couple of months over the course of a year, two years, three years, that actually has a very substantial effect. I can see that as well. So there's a few different ingredients in this. One is that the total disconnect between a digital body in a big corporate so you have somebody in digital marketing and they the agency has convinced them you need to be on college times because that's where your audience is that works but then up the pipeline the the journalist from one of the the major papers which the ceo reads this comes down on his marketing team and then the poor person who actually was doing their job and actually chose correctly gets a slap on the wrist then the agency gets a slap on the wrist then they pull all the revenue from you the, the disconnect between a digital department or a chief digital officer and the CEO and their business goals, unless they're actually linked or unless the chief digital officer is on the board of the company, it's just going to be a lot of little initiatives that don't really go on. It's going to be lipstick on a pig. Look, the environment is crap because, you know, if you're a marketing manager and you come into a business and you look at the budgets, you look at the budgets for the year, 
they're all backed up by what was done the previous year and the previous year and the previous year. If you want to do something different, uh, you have to break a pattern. That in itself uh, is challenging in any environment. And so if you want to break a pattern, you have to take a risk and you have to say, you put, put your neck over it and say, look, I think we should take money away from this. This is why. Um, and I want to put money on this. And so straight away, whatever you're taking the money from is set a, set a kind of a standard that a chance has to surpass. And so people just end up doing this, just playing it safe and just repeating their budgets from last year. Well, what happens as a result is it, it becomes really, really hard for new mediums or new opportunities to break through. Yeah. Um, because so few people want to take risks. So you have a lot of brand managers that just literally press copy and paste. And there's a reward for, for them in that, in that they don't have to take any risk. And then you have exactly, as you've said, some really good brand managers doing their job, our account managers doing their job, taking the risk, placing something well. But again, sometimes those those good opportunities, there is a risk involved. And it's not very supportive to up-and-comers. Barry Winkles, who I work with, CEO of Catawife, he has written posts on this where most, and I'm doing air quotes here, strategy is simply just planning. It's just planning. Here's my layout for next year's plan for the year. There's a slight 5% change of my <laughs> innovation budget, again, air quotes, that is just something different. And probably you're your spend that time with 7up was probably the innovation budget that somebody took a punt on. I just could never be one of those marketing managers that sits in the row and copies and pastes into an Excel sheet again next year. And then all they actually do is report what all the agencies do. And their job is to sit with the agencies instead of actually go and get finger on the pulse of what's actually happening in the market with their customers, really, or, or even how about actually making your product even better and letting that be the marketing of the product itself. You know, that kind of 5% testing mentality, when like literally the whole marketing environment is being turned on its head every six months. It's completely crazy. There's, there's huge opportunity for brands if they only actually take good, solid risks um, because of the fact that the environment is tossing and turning so much. But with, with these kind of scared uh, account managers or brand managers that are you know, really you know, passing the book and are copying, copying and pasting, it, it's so counterproductive for the, for the brands that they're managing over because, as I said, there's so much opportunity with this environment right now. Yeah, but they're, they're also the same, the same people who will be replaced by automation. And I know you, 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 with leading social, you have your finger on the pulse with all the amount of tools now that you can automate. So if you if you want to copy and paste, or you want to manage self manage a campaign that's it's unhappy Monday, and then all of a sudden it's thank God it's Friday style posts. There's countless AI now, and not even that sophisticated. They don't even need to be artificial intelligence tools that can do that for you. It's funny, we were talking, I, there was this um, talk I was at recently and everybody was saying how AI will never take care of customer service. No one will ever want to deal with AI, with AI for customer service. I'm actually really, really excited about AI and customer service because you know yourself, generally whenever you've got a customer service inquiry, you're not dealing with somebody that knows too much. Whereas 
AI bots in a couple of years are going to know absolutely everything. I, I actually, I lay you a bet in a year, two years, three years, people are going to want to pref- want to deal with AI bots over and above individuals because they'll be able to get the information they want because things will be personalized far, far better. In other areas, like for us as an agency, our, our kind of strategic edge in social media comes from creativity. There obviously is a lot of, a lot of AI in that in that area, but I think there's also still a huge need for hands-on. So one of the things that I, I get from what Leading Social does is A, it's the creativity, but also the authenticity. And also, I mean, you can't underestimate the, the true experience of so many agencies and digital people in agencies, and again, I'm doing air quotes, are just interested in social media. And therefore, that doesn't make them an expert. But what I always found is dealing with entrepreneurs like yourself or your agency that you know you have some of the team that were in college times and some of that team that have come through and it's certainly the experience it's the experience that you want from an agency not not the not not the simple a b c it's the a b z you know it's it's the actual here's the correct way to deal with this or here's a novel way of dealing with this that will work for set this type of audience and i always get that's the feel what leading social does look i i kind of had to look long and hard at my skill set and the thing i could uh, i could really pull from it is that i've been uh i've been using social media to my own uh, business's end for god 10 11 years now and there's very very few people that have been building businesses through social media for 10 11 years and that gives me an edge there's very few people that have been driving real business results through social media for several plus years. For us in our business, that's what we're, we're all about. And exactly as you said, there's guys that we've worked with for years, applying some of the, some of the old strategies that still work just as well and some of the things that no, nobody else, as far as I can see, are doing. And yeah, yeah that's, that, that's the kind of edge and that's, that's what we're going for. So we, we wanted to look at a kind of a more performance marketing. So whatever about the nine clients out of 10 that come to us that just literally want to keep up with the Joneses and look better than their competitors on social media. Uh, the thing that we look for uh, in terms of a relationship moving forward is what, where can we pr- provide an ROI? Uh, we've just taken on Mars Pharmacy Group and it's really exciting to be working with them because we're able to literally tell them, look, you spent this much on this ad and it went, the people that saw this ad clicked through from social media onto your website and this ad spend resulted in this spend on your website. And so to be able to tell a client at the end of the month, look, you've spent X with us, but we returned Y in online sales is brilliant. And we're doing that with several clients now. And that's kind of the model we're looking to grow our agency with. So it's, it's very different to other marketing or PR agencies that shy away from the real facts and figures and numbers and money. And that's where we're putting ourselves front and center and looking to move forward from. So, Jamie, where, where can people find you to get in touch? We're online, just leadingsocial.com. So, www.leadingsocial.com. And, yeah, just go from there. Nice one, man. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Jamie White, CEO and founder of Leading Social. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. So, now on the Innovation Show, we welcome Alwyn Moran, CEO and founder of CogniKids. Welcome to the show, Alwyn. Oh, thanks a million, Aidan. Delighted to be here. I read about you and yeah. I thought it was a great story. And I thought people need to know about this product. Will you, will you let us know what Cognitive Kids and your first product is? 
our tagline is we're developing young minds but I suppose the essence behind it is that we're helping babies develop in a changing world so while our world is changing at an exponential rate thanks to technology and baby development doesn't change and their requirements hasn't changed but our our kind of our environments our home environments are actually having an impact on babies development and my background is in neurological development education and I'm also a mom of two boys now they're nine and eleven it was almost like a combination of all of that gave me the first idea for my first product which was a crawl suit crawling for babies is a very important stage of development and more and more babies are not crawling because we have moved to wooden and tile floors and we've moved away from the carpets now I suppose if you look back and see some of the carpets from the 70s you probably think thank goodness because yeah. <laughs> some of them were fairly horrific in fairness but what they did offer uh, was they offered babies a little bit of traction to help them crawl on carpet and just to kind of get their limbs in order and you know I suppose if you think about a little baby it's very difficult for them to figure out what parts of their body actually belong to themselves let alone kind of dealing with gravity and all that sort of stuff and it's a huge learning um, curve but crawling really is a massively important stage in development and so it was when I saw my own guys uh, really struggling and they were both preemies as well so I was very cognizant of the fact that they needed to try to go through their milestones it didn't matter at what point but just that they would go through the developmental milestones because baby development I always say it's a little bit like building a house you need the foundations kind of right in order for everything else then to be able to come on board and um kind of progress naturally yeah so yeah so that's when i came up with i kind of made a flippant remark you know kind of going oh they need to make clothes with grips on them to help babies crawl um but actually then as it turned out um we now have our product crawl which um has been our first product to market it has been um a kind of like a constant seller and uh we're very happy with that and then we so we originally were creeper crawlers um but then we did a rebrand there to Cogni Kids because we were getting a little bit cocky, I suppose, in a way, and just very excited. And we come up with a few more product ideas. So we just felt like creeper crawlers didn't fit. When I saw it, I was like, this is like that expression, you need to walk before you can run, but you need to actually be able to crawl before you can walk because it's totally linked, isn't it, to your yeah. it's neurological development as yeah. well like so there's a whole mind there's a whole developmental piece from your brain perspective about crawling as well there's a few different types of studies done um and one would be a longitudinal study done in the uk there um results published i think 2012 or so um where they um studied 20,000 from zero to five years of age kids over five years so the percentage of those that were non-crawlers were then also noted um, in school by teachers um, who would say that they would have had not a developmental issue as such, but maybe they would struggle more at that age in a school setting. And often it is only picked up in school settings. But there's other research from the US and Australia where um, they link um, and they can identify with non-crawlers um, who have a higher propensity to develop like a learning difficulty or a behavioral challenge. So uh, 
it doesn't necessarily 100% mean that if your child doesn't crawl, they're going to end up with this, but there's a much higher propensity. And um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I'm a firm believer in kind of like, let's be proactive rather than reactive, because if we can help our little ones at all adapt to, you know, kind of modern environments, then absolutely do so. And I know that, it, you know, our crawl suit was something that I was crying out for and couldn't find anything on the market. Yeah. Um, which is this is literally why I had the passion to, to to leave kind of my nice job and decide to start a company and yeah. completely unknown territory and you know I knew nothing about design or manufacturing or production or logistics or marketing or sales or anything like that but I was just 110% convinced that you know we need to be equipping our babies um to be able to develop, you know, the way that they actually need to. So you talked about that moving from leaving your job and just jumping. What steps did you take to get there? <laughs> I don't know. If you talk to my family, they might say it was a moment of insanity. Um, I'm one of these. I, I'm a firm believer in you've got one life. And, you know, like I just want to sponge in as many different experiences as possible. Um, and also I'm very passionate about when I get very passionate about things, I give it 110 percent and I'll just go like gung ho for it. So um, I actually was back doing a master's in education at night in Maynooth and there was a student entrepreneur competition on and uh, I decided to enter the student entrepreneur competition while I was working full time, studying part time and being uh, so I'm divorced so I, the boy's dad lives in the UK so you know kind of I was kind of solo parenting as they say um and yeah so then I just entered the competition with the idea and it was like a like an x-factor kind of thing where you had to write a business plan present it and then certain amount of people went through then the next stage was rewrite your business plan and present it and you know so I think there was about four stages over six months and um I ended up actually winning that and I thought with the winnings there was like six thousand euros and I thought first of all I thought I was loaded and I was like, oh, my God, this is great. You know, I'm going to get a couch, first of all. And I'm also <laughs> going to get product on the market because I, really, I really wanted a new couch. Yeah. And mind you, I have the same couch still. Um, and so that's kind of many moons later. I'm like, oh, my goodness, that's my that's my kind of ambition for 2016, uh, 2017 is to get a new couch. Yeah. <laughs> But then, um, yeah, and then I thought I'd have loads left over to actually kind of get the product on the market and whatever else. But I hadn't a clue what was involved. So I didn't realize that the 6,000 had pretty much be gone on legal stuff before anything else. So I literally, it's just a kind of trickled into it almost. Um, so I kept working for the first year and I was chipping away and you know, kind of reached out to save the likes of the girls in mother care. And I just, I didn't know how to reach out to a buyer and I didn't know how you do it or whatever. So I literally just sent like an email going, hello there, I think I have a great product and I think you need to see it. <laughs> that was pretty much it. Mm. And then a couple of weeks later, um, the head buyer rang and I remembered vividly because I was in my kitchen 
and I had the two kids running around like maniacs and it was about five to six on a Friday and I was trying to cook their dinner and then it was like hello I'm from mother care and literally I was trying to like turn off all the um the hob and make sure everything was off there and then I was trying to kind of cool down the kids and say they're now and trying to turn on the telly to keep them occupied so that I could have a quiet kind of corner in the kitchen to actually be able to have a conversation with them um and it just kind of went from there then yeah the girl like so the girls mother care and mother care have been a great support and they've actually been great advisors too so um yeah so I just kind of have asked questions when I didn't know something and you know I I suppose because I've no business training I don't know what the protocol is and sometimes I do stuff that I probably shouldn't do but like you know I think people like my honesty too and I'm like I actually don't know what you mean <laughs> what yeah. are you looking for here but, but on that point Alwyn, I think I think that's a huge advantage because people people always think there's barriers there that may not be there and when you come in and you're from a different discipline actually being a mother is yeah. a discipline when you kind of come at something like this and you go okay I don't see a barrier there. Why do people all think there's a barrier there? I'm going to break through it. And people are conditioned yeah. to think that there's stuff in the way that may not be there. But how do you go about building a product? Like, so how did you build your prototype? What are your steps? So I then went and uh, reached out to a, believe it or not, a t-shirt printer um, to see if, so this was part of the business plan competition in college for the finals, um, to see if we could kind of work on different types of grip. And so we came up with eight different kind of types of grip. And then um, I like just bought some ordinary baby grows and we did kind of samples. And so it was like more like a visual representation. So what I've learned now is that that was called like a prototype. Um, and so then when I had my prototype and I had won that competition, I was introduced then to um, somebody who, uh, I'm trying to think now actually, oh, it was my brother's friend actually. So it's funny when you start having different types of conversations with people. So I would have known, say, these guys like for as long as I've known my brother essentially and, you know, knew that they were in the rag trade. But didn't know that they might be able to connect me with the company that manufactures for babies or, you know, whatever. So it just happened in conversation. And I was chatting to Barry and I was like, you know, this is what I'm looking for. Haven't a clue. This is the prototype. Where do I go? So then he was like, oh, my goodness, I need to connect you with these guys. They're really good. They're Irish. They live in uh, Guangzhou, which is a province or city in China and they'll be able to kind of connect you out there and you know all that sort of stuff so it was literally just kind of through chatting and um explaining and annoying everybody I became obsessed so it was literally like that was the only thing I could speak about was either my children or creeper crawlers at the time so um you know I suppose when you talk about it enough you're going to eventually it's like my mom says, if you throw enough muck at the wall, some of it will eventually <laughs> stick. So, yeah. So then I just sent out my prototype and they mocked up kind of different versions. Again, we worked on the different type of grips, got the one that was suitable. And um, so we had to have obviously kind of little trials to make sure that they worked for the little ones, because some 
uh, versions of the grip were too grippy. So it actually prevented them from pulling their knees up, which obviously isn't helpful. Um, and then some were too slippy. So they were just making more of a kind of a mess, <laughs> essentially, yeah. the poor little ones. Their legs are just going out from underneath them. So once we got our right grip um, sorted out, then the next stage then was getting them into pre-production samples and then going into production samples. And then I like I literally went into production, sorry, um, uh, without actually having an order. <laughs> so I didn't realize that you don't do that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so kind of I got this delivery and um, I had nowhere to store it. So my parents' living room became my storeroom for a while. And then the girls in mother care then ordered and, you know, kind of the rest then is a bit of history, I yeah. suppose, you know? So yeah. The, so then, so you got your first order and then um, you, this built up the confidence. But, um, and then, I mean, that must be so exciting going into China yourself then on the kind of, um, on the trail looking for suppliers. And I'm sure your mind was racing as you do that. And, and then balancing home as well, balancing the two boys. Did they go with you? No, they nearly did. I mean, we did actually sit down and kind of discuss it and because I love traveling. So I'm very happy to do all of the traveling in Europe and in the US. And I have brought them on a couple of, um, you know, trips before. Um, but this time I actually, you know, they were kind of like, oh, are we going to China? I can't wait. Um, and then I kind of I just sat them down and I said, you know what, actually, I think maybe I should go and suss it out myself first because I'd never been. So I've always had them along with me, but I've always been before. So I kind of know the lay of the land and I know, you know, I can prepare them and, and that. So because I had never been to China myself, uh, I was just saying to them, I really just don't know what it's all about. And, you know, I want to go. I want to make sure that, you know, kind of that it's you guys can stick it. And then I also knew the schedule that I packed for myself. I had I think I had packed like six cities in five days. So it was pretty intense. I mean, there was no kind of chill out or anything like that. Um, we had one afternoon where we were coming back from one meeting on our way to another meeting. And we did a quick kind of like sightseeing kind of tour for a couple of hours. But there was it was relentless. So I kind of thought, you know, it's a long flight. It's only literally I was gone a week, but two of those days was traveling. So it was like five days there. It's too much to put on them this time. But next time then maybe we could, you know, add on a week at the end and, you know, go and do some proper kind of sightseeing and things like that. So, yeah. So that's why I made the decision this time not to bring them. So can you mention any of your upcoming product? Not yet, okay. actually. If I do, I'll have to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we'll be launching them to trade uh, next yeah. month. And yeah. um, so I've shown a couple of Irish retailers here uh, the products already, and they're very excited. And they're like, oh, my goodness, you know, we'll totally go for those. Um, and that's the beauty of it is that every single thing has that we make it's not just product for product's sake but it's actually a product for developmental sake so yeah. even our grip um the baby bottle holder is actually designed to help develop the pincer grip which isn't being developed anymore because believe it or not and an awful lot of people find this hard to believe but little ones are given ipads and phones and things to play on so they do all the tapping and swiping so more and more teachers because obviously i'm a bit of a a nerd too so I love reading research and we're actually partnering with the university in the UK um starting next month 
as well. So um, a lot of research is coming through now of the impact of tablet play on little ones. And specifically, junior infant teachers are saying that there's a massive rise in children coming in to junior infants unable to hold a pencil um, or a crayon. And they should have that grip developed by junior infant stage. But, but so it's all little things. So the next products, same thing. They all have a developmental aspect. That's fantastic. And, and you picked a great name of CogniKids. So where can people get yeah. in touch with you, Alwyn? So we are on website, CogniKids.com. We are also on Snapchat, believe it or not. Um, early mover. I have to thank a couple of friends of mine from, I did a going for growth group this year and um, that's kind of part funded or supported by Enterprise Ireland for female entrepreneurs. And some of the girls on that were like, you should be on Snapchat. This is where all the moms are. So we were very slow to adapt to it, but now we're on it and happy out. So we're Snapchat, uh, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, then more for the businessy side of things, and um, probably some other stuff that I'm forgetting. But we're very social, and then we're also then in Mothercare Ireland, Lloyd's Pharmacies, and independent um, pharmacies and nursery stockists as well. Fantastic, <laughs> and we wish you every success. Alwyn Moran, CEO and founder of Cogni Kids. Thanks for joining us. Thanks a million. Lovely to chat to you.